There's also a lot of risk that comes along with that. You get a lot of potential growth, but there's also a lot of risk. So understanding what your risk appetite is also a part of gaining that comfort to make the steps forward to invest. You're listening to The Life & Money Show, a podcast that brings you the stories and strategies of people who are living a meaningful and intentional life by design, building true wealth for their families and impacting the world around them. And now here are your hosts, Annie Dickerson and Julie Lamb. Hello, everyone. I'm Annie Dickerson here with the fabulous Julie Lamb. Julie, how are you today? I'm doing fantastic. I'm in the Bay Area again. and You're freezing cold now? Freezing cold. <laughs> freezing cold. I can't live here almost all my life and 42 still feels like 42. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hawaii has spoiled you <laughs> even further. <laughs> yeah, it's a hundred percent. Is it cold up where you are? Probably. Oh yeah. I've got my heater on. I'm like shivering as we're recording this. So yeah. If my voice shakes, you'll know that's oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Living in these frosty Bay Area climates, but I'm excited because we're going to go for a hike later today, Land's End in San Francisco. Yeah. If anyone has joined our newsletter list or is on that, then you know that hiking for me has been a priority for my family and I over the last couple of weeks. It's been for actually for the last couple of years, but I've made it like a part of our week now where every week on Sundays and sometimes Mondays, but Sundays we go hiking as a family and we get outdoors. And it's been such a game changer. We spend so much time and you read about this and you don't think much about it, but we spend so much time in front of technology and computers. And there's studies that have been shown that when you get out into nature. And so when I hike, I try to look at things that are very far away and things that are very close up and things that are off like 30 feet ahead of you. But there's something that does like, I guess, physically to your bodies to help you relieve stress and anxiety. And I certainly have noticed the difference and it's It's been such an amazing thing. And so I know normally whenever we meet up, we have like, we meet up at a cafe and stare at our technology some more and talk about business or whatever. And then we go out to eat dinner. And so I thought this would be a wonderful way for us to connect outdoors. I think you can have sometimes great ideas come when you're outside. Oh yeah. Back when I worked in the corporate world, I had a manager who used to do walking meetings. Mm -hmm. And so every week for our one-on-one, instead of sitting in front of a computer or in a conference room, we would go outside. (laughs) I mean, this was back when I worked at LinkedIn. And so this was like down in Sunnyvale and it's a lot of parking lots and small roads. So it wasn't like in the middle of a forest, but still like being outside, breathing the fresh air. And there's something about talking to somebody. I read this about being a parent of boys is the best place, you know, the best place to have difficult conversation with boys. Where? In the woods? It's in the car. It's in the car because you're not looking directly at them. There's something about the confrontation of like the eye contact. Uh So I've had lots of really great, deep, like soul conversations or even masterminds. We'll do like mini masterminds in the car and I'll talk about something that's going on in the business or they'll talk about the YouTube channels that they want to start and we'll just mastermind in the car. But I find that when there's not that direct. Like on Zoom, sometimes you get a little bit like everybody's looking at you, but when you're walking side by side or when there's you're in a car, for some reason, it's it's kind of like what you're talking about, looking far versus looking close. There's something psychologically that that does. Yes. 
Yeah, we'll have to do like an Instagram live or a Facebook live or something when we get there later. (laughs) (laughs) Anyone listening, go back to our Facebook page and watch that and you can see where we're hiking. It's beautiful. I can see Land's End from my house right now and blue skies, not a cloud in the sky, sun is shining. So it'll probably be a little cold, but at least the, the sun is out. So yeah. Yeah. Well, for all the listeners, we have such a great topic today for you. We're going to dive into what to look for when you're considering a passive real estate investment. And this is something that both Julie and I have gone through and we've counseled so many people through this process. So we're excited to share some of our insights there. But first, we wanted to share a brand new resource for all of you. If you are thinking of investing in a passive real estate investment through a syndication, and you're thinking about maybe investing alongside us, we've put together a resource with our track record and these detailed case studies about all of the deals that we've exited to date. And so what that means for you is that in one place, you'll be able to quickly compare what our original projections were and the actual returns. And so especially as you're getting to know us and our team. That's a great way for you to get to know our performance because as we always say, anybody can make a deal look great on paper, but when the rubber meets the road, that's when you find the difference between the great operators and the mediocre ones. Let's just put it that way. And so even if you choose not to invest with us, we highly recommend that for any team that you're vetting, and we'll talk about this further, is that you really dig into their track record and see their ability to deliver on their projections. So for anybody who is interested, you can go to our website, goodeginvestments.com and right there down at the bottom, you can download that copy for yourself. And speaking of which, if you are interested in investing alongside us and you're an accredited investor, we do invite you to invest alongside us in our current open offering, which is Good Egg Wealth Fund 2. To find out more about that opportunity, go to goodeginvestments.com slash fund two. That's goodeginvestments.com slash fund and the number two. All right. With that, we're going to switch gears and dive into our topic today, which again is around what to look for when you're considering investing in a syndication. So Julie, I want to throw it over to you. Think way back, years back now to that very first, the first time you discovered that real estate syndications and passive investing was even a thing. From that point to when you then invested in that first deal, how did you gain the confidence? Were there certain things that you saw in that first deal that made you think, oh, this is the one, this is the best market, or this is a great looking deal, or this is the best team? What was it that gave you that confidence to move forward? Yeah. I mean, I think the first thing is just even gaining comfort around the fact that this is a passive investment is like the first thing is just understanding that you don't have the control that you otherwise would when you own a single family home. Benefits to that and drawbacks, right? And is it right for you, I think is probably the first question I would ask before you even go down the path of like vetting deals and sponsors. Because the last thing you want is to be up at night in bed and like thinking about, am I going to get my distribution not knowing what's going on or whatever, right? And so visibility is something that I'll talk about a little bit about too, and transparency, which is why it's so important for us and what we do at Good Egg. But I think the question around like, how did I gain the confidence? It was really 
Whenever we don't know something, it's usually because we don't have enough information. Like when we don't have the certainty, we don't have the amount of information that we need to properly make the right decision. And so I spent probably about six months or so, six to eight months before I pulled the trigger and made my first investment. And just asking people, networking, networking was a big thing, understanding what was this whole world was all about. And then networking with other or not other, but at the time I was not a sponsor or general partner, but networking with sponsors and general partners and just getting an idea of who they were as a person. Honestly, it wasn't even so much about like, oh, tell me what kind of deals you do and tell me the markets you're invested in. But it was that obviously came up. But in my initial discussions, a lot of it was just me trying to understand who this person was like as a human being. (laughs) And I think that's part of the reason why we're we're now doing sort of this format that we have on the show is we want everyone to understand like who we are as a human being. And so just listening to a lot of podcasts, listening, networking with people, looking at as many investment summaries as I could and really understanding how everyone was positioning. These are all marketing materials, everyone. So (laughs) know that right off that this is a tool to market something to you and to buy essentially is what it is. And even though they're not supposed to be, that's essentially like what's happening there. And so being able to sort of go into it with that understanding and then knowing, okay, well, if this is a marketing tool, how am I going to sort of decipher what's in the marketing tool to really understand what's important to me? And I think that's the next thing I would say is really understanding where your comfort zone is. And I had to understand that too. And it really started with like the market and like, well, where am I going to invest? What markets, what are the the key things I'm going to look for in the markets that I'm going to invest in. And for me, and even for what we do at Good Egg, it's always been investing in areas where there's strong evidence of growth. And so the first market that I ended up investing in was Dallas. And it was a great time to get in. Arguably, this was 2016. And some might say that it wasn't a good time to get in. Even back then, it's gotten way worse over the years. And we have not, as a company, invested in Dallas for a long time not because we don't like the market, but I think hit a period of being a little bit oversaturated with investors hitting a lot of foreign investors hitting that market and prices became competitive. So that was, I think it was just networking and understanding the markets and then understanding the returns that I was anticipating and really getting a feel for what was out there. And once I understood like who the person, who the sponsor was and I understood what market I was going to invest in and what kind of returns I was looking for, it gave me sort of the lay of the land. And I knew, okay, like I had sort of a subset of of sponsors I knew I wanted to invest with. I knew what markets I wanted to invest in, and I knew what kind of a return I was looking for. And so as long as deals that kind of came to me met those metrics, then I was interested. I didn't necessarily invest, but I was interested. And so then once I had narrowed that bucket down, then it became just looking at a deal by deal basis because I had already decided on the sponsors and the markets. And then it was just like, as every deal came out, what are the things that were important to me? And again, it went back to that job growth and population growth because, and we still don't, I don't believe in investing in smaller areas, although you've invested in smaller areas and so have I, and there's lots of opportunity there. But in my opinion, there's also a lot of risk that comes along with that. You get a lot of potential growth, but there's also a lot of risk. So understanding what your risk appetite is also a part of gaining that comfort to make the steps forward to invest. I'm curious, as part of your process, you mentioned you looked at a ton of investment summaries. Yeah. And so I'm curious, was it the investment summaries that informed the markets and the returns you were looking for? Or did you decide on the markets and returns first and then look for investment summaries that matched? 
know was the investment summaries because I didn't know really where to start. And I think that's often where people get stuck too, is they're like, well, you think to yourself in your little silo, like, well, where do I want to invest? And you're like, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> and let me go to bigger pockets and see what people are recommending there or what markets seem to be hot or whatever. And I never made much progress doing it that way. And it wasn't until I started to read these investment summaries and it wasn't just a trust what they say in there. Like I said, these are marketing tools, right? So it was a trust, but verify. So I would pour through investment summaries and then you start to see trends also because you're starting to see that like one group talks about these statistics in Dallas-Fort Worth and another group with a different deal has a similar statistic. So now you're starting to understand like, okay, this is a trend. And then you go on Google and you verify through various websites around like, what is the population growth in this particular submarket? What is the anticipated rents that they're underwriting? Easy, just go to apartments.com. Like this was back six years ago, how I would do it and just see are those numbers sort of lining up and matching, but no. So I would rely heavily on the education that I would get from these investment summaries because that was, they're educational. In our investment summaries, there's a lot of like facts that we have to go and pull and find. It's not like we just pull this stuff out of thin air, right? And so I did lean on that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? Because you went off and like invested in Huntsville, like Alabama, which is like a relative, it's a bigger market now. Six years ago, yeah. it was pretty small. You read a book, I think, right? Like Dave Lindahl's book. I did. Good memory. At the time I was reading, as you were voraciously, everything I could get my hands on, listening to all these podcasts. And Dave Lindahl's book, Emerging Real Estate Markets, was one of the pivotal ones that I read, not because I was necessarily interested in emerging markets. He gives a great breakdown of what to look for in any market. And so then what I did, because I was looking at the markets first, I hadn't gotten my hands on investment summaries. I didn't even know that was a thing at that point. I was just like, let me find some good markets. And I tried the whole like, hold my hand over the map and feel, but that didn't work. So then <laughs> I got the book and I wrote down all the criteria, he said. And then what I did was I started, I said, there's so many different cities and I don't really have necessarily, he says, one thing is to find a place where you have an unfair advantage. Like if you have relatives there or something like that, or you have a second home there, I'm like, I don't really have that in any of the markets that would make sense. And so I was really starting from scratch. And what I did was, you know how different real estate websites will publish top 10 lists for investing this year. And everyone has slightly different cities that they list for different reasons. So I was kind of doing that like you were for investment summaries, but I was doing that with these websites. And I was like, okay, what are the cities that are named on multiple websites? And so I was cross-checking and I'm like, okay, so these are some. And then from there, then I started to dig further into those markets. And Huntsville was really one of the only markets I found at the time that checked off all of Dave's criteria. And so I started there. But it's funny how, even though we kind of came at it from different angles, it's kind of a similar methodology. Have you been thinking about investing in real estate, but aren't sure you have the time or the desire to manage the investment? Perhaps you're afraid like we were that you'll make the mistake of choosing the wrong market or the wrong team and lose your entire investment. 
Well, that's exactly why we created the Good Egg Investor Club. We do the work of identifying solid real estate investment opportunities in the best markets around the country and then partner with you to acquire these investments and then we'll all share in the returns. We'll identify the growing markets, strong, experienced teams, and the solid deals. We do all the heavy lifting of managing the tenants and the renovations, and as a passive partner, you get to enjoy all the benefits of investing in real estate, monthly cash flow, long-term appreciation, and the ongoing tax benefits. When we first discovered passive investing through real estate syndications, we realized it fit perfectly into our busy lives. We could put our money to work for our families, work less, and get more time back in our days so that we could focus on what matters most and discover our true passion and purpose in life. We've now helped hundreds of people invest passively in real estate syndications and are seeing the positive impact it's had on their lives. We invite you to partner with us by joining the Good Egg Investor Club today so you can start putting your money to work for you and get more time back in your day because we know that when people have more time in their days, they can do the true work they were intended to do and the world will be a better place. To sign up for the Good Egg Investor Club, go to goodegginvestments.com slash invest and we'll take it from there. That's goodegginvestments.com slash invest. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's the thing I wanted to just notice that there's many different ways to get to the point of actually making an investment. The way I did it or the way you did it is just what worked for you and I. And so follow your intuition, especially for us women. Listen to yourself and follow your intuition and listen to what the little voice inside of your head is telling you. And the one voice you should not listen to, though, is the one that tells you that you're scared and you're fearful and you don't want to make a mistake. I've talked with so many women over the last six, seven years that that's the thing that's preventing them from moving forward is they're afraid to make a mistake and afraid to fall flat on their face in front of their family and put their family in a bad situation. And I'm not telling you to go out there and make careless mistakes, but definitely do the due diligence up front that's required to get yourself to a place of certainty so that you can move forward. Because this has been a game changer for both you and I and a lot of our investors as well. And it's literally changed people's lives. And so taking that next step to actually make some steps and progress to making an investment is so key to living a life of intention, which we always talk about on the show. And it's part of the formula. So definitely that's a little voice I would put pause to if you hear that little voice inside your head. <laughs> yeah, that's such an important point to actually move forward and take action, not to get stuck in analysis paralysis. And for the listener, I promise it does sound like a lot of work. And upfront, you are going to spend a fair amount of time researching and just getting those downloads into your own brain to really wrap your head around what all this means and get your questions answered. And that is going to take a little bit of time. I mean, Julie, you mentioned several months. I was digging into this for several months on all my off time. You were still working a job. I was still working a job, right? But on all of our off time, we were looking into this. And to the listener, I want you to know that it does get 
faster and easier over time. Yes, you put in this initial investment of time. And then once you get to that threshold of like, okay, I'm ready, I'm going to make that first investment. And you do that and then see that first distribution, you see it working and that builds a little bit more trust, right? And so then these days when, I don't know about when you invest, I can say when I invest in something, it's like 10 minutes and um, I know whether or not a deal is right for me. But what does that look like for you? Yeah, I mean, I think on my personal stuff that I do, it depends if it's in the same asset class, but most of the stuff that I invest in that's multifamily is just in our own stuff, just because I have more control over the outcome. But in other various asset classes outside of it, yes, same. It's usually pretty quick. And I think that when I'm assessing sort of the risk in all of these other asset classes, it's doing the due diligence, not necessarily on the operator anymore, but it's more on like the asset that I'm investing into and really understanding what that looks like. So yeah. Okay. Well, as we wrap, one final question I've got for you. If we were to give the listener a quick like lightning round, like maybe like three things that they should look for when considering a passive investing opportunity. What are some of those things you recommend people really look into? Yeah. I mean, I think it's like track record is one with the understanding though, that like what happened historically is never evidence of like what's going to happen moving forward, but it certainly speaks to operating these big apartment buildings. There's so many moving pieces that go into these deals. I had no idea, but there's so many moving pieces. And if you can successfully exit and go full circle on a deal and hit the projections or exceed the projections, like that says a lot about your ability to see the business plan from inception, to, which is just an idea, which is what you see on the investment summary, all the way through all the headaches and heartaches and all the things that go wrong along the course of owning this property to the outcome. And sure, over the last five years, arguably, it's been pretty easy. A lot of people say, well, how could you go wrong in the last five years? We were in an upswing. And that's absolutely true. And looking at track record is like one thing I would recommend looking at. Ask your questions. When I first started out, I had 25 questions. And there were some operators who never got back to me. And then three days later would follow up with an email asking me if I was ready to invest. And I was like, you never even responded to my email. And sure, I had a lot of questions, but rightfully so. I'm about to hand over $100,000 or whatever it is. So ask all the questions and see, use it as a tool. Don't feel bad and think like, oh, I you know, I have all these questions. And no, lean in on these people. We always tell everyone, mm-hmm. call us. We make ourselves so available. Yeah. I used to hand out my cell phone number. We don't anymore because we're bigger now and it just gets chaotic and cumbersome. But our investors have my cell phone number. If your sponsor that you're working with it does not readily hand out their cell phone number or you cannot reach them or they don't answer your questions, that's like another big no-no. When you're dating, if they're not <laughs> going to pay attention to you now, don't it's think awesome. that after you get married that that's they're going right. to treat you better. <laughs> that's right. That's exactly right. If it's not good today, not going to be better down the road when they're screaming nope. kids and all of that craziness that happens after you get married. But so, yeah, so just knowing that they're responsive and available is like another big thing. And I guess also this is sort of a, a smaller thing, but understanding the way that they communicate. And that's something that we've been always 
held as something that's so important to us at Good Egg is how we communicate. Because like I said in the beginning, you don't have that control, right? And when you don't have that control, you can worry a little bit (laughs) because you don't know what's going on. You're not in the driver's seat, right? You're not the one who's working with the property manager. You're not the one who's, you know, getting the distributions direct to your bank account, like in from the renter. Right. And so there's a lot of like a feeling of a, of loss of control. So asking them upfront, like what is your method of communication? One, how frequently can I expect to hear from you and ask them to show you evidence of that? Say, great. So you tell me you communicate once a month, every other week, whatever it is. Can you show me some of the updates that you've sent out on your most recent investments? We would happily send that to you. So if anyone out there wants to see ours, definitely ask for that, but ask them for that. And again, if they can't show it to you or they show you something that's not written well or doesn't have the critical pieces of information in that update, I would question that. This is my things that make me feel comfortable and ways that I sort of had vetted partners in the very beginning. But it's funny how these things may sound like small things and sound like things that are not a big deal. It's funny because you and I talk about this all the time, how one thing can like really clue you in to like the type of person this is that's running this investment, right? We always joke about this because it's like the one word mm-hmm. choice that they use oh, yeah. where they chose to like <laughs> place that word in the sentence, like changes everything about who mm-hmm. tells you so much about who that person is. And so this has been one of the ways, these are the yeah. tools that I've used in the very early days to sort of vet folks and tell me whether this was a good partner to work with. So at the end of the day, it's not just the investment, right? This is a partner. It's a business mm-hmm. partner that you're going in a business with. And I think that's an important distinction to understand is this is not just like your financial advisors telling you to invest in Apple. Like this is different, right? Like this is a business partner and someone, you are a silent partner to this relationship and you need to know who you're getting into bed with. Yeah. And that's so important what you said around essentially how you do something is how you do everything. So those little clues will don't just brush those under the rug. Those are little clues to bigger things down the road. And so all the more important to read between the lines and take the time, especially if you're considering investing with a group to really get to know them on a personal level, as well as their track record and get your questions answered, but really feel comfortable because it is a partnership. It's not just like you put your money in and there's nothing, no relationship. This is an ongoing business plan and relationship. So you really want to get comfortable, especially because it takes time to vet these different groups. So ideally you want to find somebody or maybe a small handful of groups that you really trust that you can invest with time. And again, you don't want to have to start from scratch every single time. And so with that, if you are at that stage where you're either getting to know more about passive investing and looking to, as Julie went through that stage of looking through tons of different investment summaries, we have lots for you to pour through. If you want, you can get them all in one place. So we've got over 40 syndications that we've done to date. We have investment summaries for all of those in each one. You're going to find things like, why do we like this market? What is the business plan for this asset? What are the details about this asset in particular? Where do we see the opportunity for you and your investment. And of course, the projected returns. And as mentioned earlier, for all those exited deals, we do have the projected versus the actual returns. So 
All of this to say is that we, as a team, Good Egg Investments, we're here to support you on your journey. We know that getting from wherever you are to a point where you're comfortable investing 50000 a 100000 or more can be a lengthy process, can involve a lot of your time. And so we want to make that as easy as possible for you. So if you're an accredited investor and you are interested in potentially investing alongside us, we invite you to join the Good Egg Investor Club. For that, you can go to goodegginvestments.com slash invest to learn more. All right. With that, Julie, any final thoughts before we wrap? No, I think it's just it's an interesting time right now to be investing. We've been now through a pandemic and a huge interest rate hike and a looming recession. So it's an interesting time to be an investor. And I guess what I would leave everyone with is that one of the things that I found very early on in my research of investing is that it's very, very difficult to try to time the market. And so way back when, seven years ago or whatever, when I first got back, first got more serious about investing in real estate was that I made the decision that I would never try to time the market and that if a deal looked good and had all of the right fundamentals and the deal penciled, and I was being conservative on my assumptions and not being real aggressive on my assumptions, that a good deal is a good deal no matter what market we're in. And I'll never forget in 2008, my real estate agent, her broker, I guess, manager broker that she was working underneath bought hundreds of small apartments in the Oakland area in San Francisco for like a hundred grand or less. He just didn't understand what was happening (laughs) and why he would do that at a time when nobody was buying and every, it was like, I remember my real estate agent saying that literally we were like one of her only clients that year. And it was a very tough year for her, but that her manager was like buying all these properties. So think about that. And just to give you an idea, a small $100,000 condo in the Oakland area sold after 2008, probably about four years later, sold for $500,000. And I know because that was one of the condos that we bought for $100,000. I only bought one, unfortunately. (laughs) But... So that gives you an idea, right? Like this is what I'm talking Mm -hmm. about. There's lots to be scared and fearful about right now, but don't let that stop you from making moves as long as the deal makes sense. So indeed. Well, with that, I'm going to grab my water bottle and my hiking boots. I'll see you on the trail in a bit. And for the listener, we'll see you next time. You've been listening to The Life and Money Show, the number one podcast for people who, like you, are living a meaningful and intentional life by design, building true wealth and making an impact in the world. For more resources, check out goodegginvestments.com and be sure to join the Life and Money Show community on Facebook. And if you got value out of the show, please subscribe and give us a five-star review so we can continue to bring you amazing new conversations.